Good. My name is Andrew. If we have not been able to meet yet, I lead this church location here. I love you guys. I'm, I'm, I love this church. I'm so happy to be here with you. I'm excited to get into God's Word, see what He has to say to you and to me. We're starting a new sermon series today, but we have something very important that we need to celebrate before we get there. Uh, if you have little children, you may know that our kids director, Melissa, um, has been very pregnant. Uh, well, she is no longer very pregnant because she had her baby this past week. We're so excited. Celebrating with Mike and Melissa. This is Micah James D'Agostino. He, is six, he was born 16 pounds, 15 ounce. I'm sorry. Wow. That would be... That would be a world record. Six pounds, 15 ounces, 20 and a half inches. And his little brothers are over the moon. Uh, his big brothers over the moon. So we're so excited and we're celebrating with them. Uh, great grandparents are here. Dad's here. I'm not great. great grandparents, just, great, just grandparents. They are great grandparents? They're great people. They're great people. They're here. They're excited. That's, that's what's important. Uh, <laughs> so we're happy. We're happy. And I, I hope that we'll be able to meet uh, Micah James very soon. Um, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke today. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to open up there. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. If you want to use these Bibles in the chairs in front of you, it is on page 857. Uh, before we jump into that, I want to tell you about a Christmas tradition that Rosemary and I have every December. This is a tradition that Rosemary brought into our marriage that she has been doing since she was a very little girl. And we call it the Christmas Cookie Bake-a-thon. And basically what we do is we pick a weekend in December and we just bake like a stupid amount of cookies, just an absurd amount of cookies, hundreds of cookies. Like we did like seven, seven different kinds this year. And what we do is we get tins, Christmas little tins, and we stuff them full. We just pack them up into tins and we just give them away to friends and neighbors, just to be a blessing and build some relationship during the Christmas time. And uh, we go to Dollar Tree to get our Christmas tins, and they're not always, they don't always have a great selection, so I'm always like, ah, how's it going to be? This year, they ha thankfully, they had a good selection. This was one of the tins that they had. And if you, can, if you have a tough time reading it, it says, wishing you peace, love, and joy this holiday season. And that's a nice sentiment. You look at that and you're like, ah, that's a nice tin. You, you're happy to receive it, especially if there's a lot of cookies inside. But as I was thinking about it and reflecting on it, it sort of perfectly encapsulates a phenomenon that happens every Christmas where, where so like almost systematically, people sort of separate the feelings, the warm, fuzzy feelings you get during Christmas time from the source and, and really the meaning behind them and where they come from. And so this tin, this tin wants you to have peace, love, and joy during this holiday season. But those feelings are completely divorced from where peace, love, and joy come from. And this tin offers you no answers to it. If it's full of cookies, maybe there's some joy there for a little while, but it's gonna run out. And when we separate the feelings of Christmas from the source, it's a lot like separating a Christmas tree from its roots. And we don't need to get into the debate on, you know, real Christmas tree, artificial Christmas tree. We all know that the real Christmas tree is better by a mile. 
But those of us who get those real Christmas trees know that as soon as you cut it down, whether it's you or some burly, you know, lumberjack uh, who cut it down and brought it to the, the place where you can just pick it up and buy it, that tree is on its way to death. You can fill up the stand with water. You can do everything you can to try and prolong that process. But that tree is on a steady march to turning brown and crusty and just dying. But it's totally different for a Christmas tree that's still connected to the roots. If you were to go out to the Christmas tree farm, you see all these trees. They're connected into the ground. They're rooted in the ground. And spring... Summer, fall, winter, rain, shine, heat, cold. Those trees stay green all year round. Those trees are evergreen, we call them, when they're connected to their roots. And it's the same thing with these, these feelings of Christmas, that if we try and disconnect them, we can do things, we can try and like muster up you know, good wishes for peace, love, and joy during Christmas time, but December 26th comes, or, or December 31st comes, or whenever you put away your decorations, which for me is like April, like eventually the Christmas feels are going to go away. And so what we're trying to do with this series for the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at those different feelings of Christmas and try and reconnect them to the roots where they came from and, and, and in an attempt in, in a hope that we would be able to experience them in an evergreen way. Does that make sense to everybody? That's what we're going to try and do here. We're not going to try and live artificial Christmas feels. We want the real thing. We want to connect in to the source. And today, we are going to be talking about joy. That was the candle that Steph lit for us. And we are going to be in Luke chapter 2. We're going to read the story of Jesus's birth. Now, this can be a very familiar story for many of us. Many, maybe some of you even drove past, did anybody drive past a nativity scene on their way here today? Okay, we got a couple. This can be a very familiar passage of, of scripture to us. I encourage you to just open up your imagination a little bit. Maybe try and, try and just, I don't know, do whatever you can to maybe feel like this is the, the first time you're hearing this story. Because to be honest with you, when we get familiar with things, we start to think that they're normal. There is nothing normal about Jesus' birth, okay? And we're going to get into some of that. So, uh, in the, the, we're going to start in verse 8. But at the beginning of this chapter, we see Mary and Joseph, they have, to head to, they have to head to Bethlehem because of a survey that's being taken. The entire Roman Empire is taking a census because they want to make sure that they are taxing the people properly. They want all the money that they feel like they have the right to. So they sort of force everybody to their familial homes. So across the whole Roman Empire, everyone's really like going back to like where they're from, right? We've got some people here from Michigan. We've got some people here from California I just met today. The, the emperor is saying, hey, go back to where you're from and register so you don't, you know, we don't lose where you're at and we can take a proper thing. So they, they have to go to Bethlehem because Joseph is from the line of David. And we find out in these first few verses that they don't have a place to stay. This, this is a little bit of a head scratcher because if this is his familial place, then presumably he's got family there. There's an inn there. To me, it just comes down to Joseph was probably a really bad planner. 
And they got there and the inn is full and the family house, they already, everybody's already accounted for all the guest rooms. And, and they're like walking around Bethlehem. They're like, where are we gonna, where are we gonna stay tonight? And the contractions start. And Mary's like, we need to find a place now. Like this baby is coming now. And so their best option is, is you know, we, the, the nativity scenes have this like nice little wooden like roof and the animals are in there. Our best bet, we don't know for sure. Our best bet is that Mary gave birth in a cave. In, in this place, it's sort of common for these caves to be, uh, some of them are natural, some of them are sort of dug out into these sides of the, these rock outcroppings because it's a very convenient way to uh, house animals. You don't have to build an entire structure. You can sort of carve out and it's protected from the rain and all you have to do is build a little gate and the animals are safe inside. And it's a convenient place to store animals, not a great place to give birth. But Mary's there, that's, that's their best bet. And so Mary gives birth in probably a cave and lays the baby in a manger. And then we get this picking up in verse eight. These are the verses that actually Steph read just a little bit earlier. It says, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And now the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now pause. When we are familiar with the story, or even just when we're not really engaging our, our full self in the scripture, when we read stuff like this, all the characters are boring. Everybody's just speaking in monotone, whatever. Just give me some words. Think about the inflection of this angel's voice. Think about the feelings that this angel is feeling. Just shout out some words. What do you think is describing this message? What do you think is, is the angel is feeling? Just shout them out. What do you think? Emotions, joy, hi, hope. Keep going. What do we get? What else we got? Like, is he, hmm? He's excited. I think he is super pumped. I think he is like over the moon excited. So I don't think he shows up, glory of the Lord shines around him and he's like, don't be afraid. Uh, open the scroll. Uh, I bring you good news of great joy. No, I think he's like, don't, don't be afraid. Like, I know it was nighttime a second ago and now the glory of the Lord is here and it's shining like the, like the middle of the day and you're all freaking out because you don't know what's going on. Don't worry. I bring you good news. Good news of great joy that's gonna be for everybody. Today, the, he goes on. Verse 11. For unto you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord is born. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The angel is like giddy to be able to share this amazing, amazing news with the shepherds. It's almost like Jesus is born. I need to tell somebody the shepherds are already awake. So let's go down there. Let's talk to them. They got to pay attention because nighttime is when the predators are going to come and attack the sheep. So they show up, the angel shows up, he tells them this, this great news and as soon as he gets the word out, in verse 13 it says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It is impossible for me to overstate to you the, the unbelievably good news it is 
that Jesus is Savior, Christ, the Lord. If you go back to that verse, it, the angel says, the good news of great joy is that a Savior who is Christ, the Lord, has been born. Three names for this little baby Jesus. Savior, Christ, and Lord. Savior and Christ, those two ideas sort of go together. The, the word Christ is, is this name that God gives to the Old Testament people. He says, I'm gonna send somebody and he's gonna put everything right. Sometimes we call it the Messiah. Maybe you've heard that word. I'm gonna send the Christ. I'm gonna send the Messiah and he's gonna build a kingdom that's never gonna end. And he's going to put everything that was wrong, he's gonna put it right. And, and the people of Israel, even now, in, as Jesus is being born, they are longing, longing for the Messiah to come. They are desiring this deeply. We're gonna get into some of that in the next uh, little section, the next weird thing that happens in the story. But, but Savior and, and Christ sort of go together, that the people recognize that they need someone that God is gonna send to save them. And then the other one is Lord. Lord, whenever you see that in the Bible, that's like the, the substitute word for God himself. So the angel says, the, the baby who was born, Savior Christ, he's the one that God promised. By the way, he's God himself. God is here. God came to the earth and that is amazing news. That is why I'm so happy. And the whole heavenly host finally catch up to this first angel and they're just all praising God. Get, get in the mind of the, the shepherds there for a second. The adrenaline like coursing through their veins because they were like sort of snoozy hoping that this was just gonna be like a casual night of watching the sheep and now all of a sudden like all this excitement and energy is going on. And so what do they do? Verse 15, it says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, we gotta go check this out. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. The, the scripture doesn't say this, but how cool would it be if the, the cave that Mary gave birth in was the cave that the shepherds were going to bring their sheep back to so they could go into Bethlehem and find the baby? I, this is just me trying to be creative. Don't, don't, don't read too much into that. But the shepherds are like, we gotta, we gotta find this baby. The, sh the sign the angel gives is he's wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. That's, that, again, we think that's normal. That's not normal. It's not normal for a baby to be lying in a manger. So they're like, we, like, I guess we need to check all the mangers in Bethlehem. And they find Mary and Joseph. And remember, they went with haste. And so I just imagine them like pulling up to the cave and just kind of like hitting their knees a little bit, trying to catch their breath. <clears throat> and it says that when they found them, verse 17, when they saw it, I don't know why they call the baby it. It's a little rude if you ask me, but I know you guess when they're born, they sort of look like aliens anyway. But uh, he says, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in their heart. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So what we have here is, is the shepherds showing up 
saying, you guys will not believe what just happened to us. We just saw an angel. He told us that this baby was here and that he was Savior, Christ, and Lord. And then like a whole bunch of like thousands of other angels showed up and they're all just like singing and giving glory to God. And we were like, we gotta, we gotta find this guy. And here you are, it's you. And in verse 18, this is an interesting verse. It says, all who heard this, which to me suggests that it was more than just Mary and Joseph and Jesus in the cave. Luke doesn't tell us about the wise men. We know from the other gospels that wise men show up at some point. Maybe the wise men are there. Um, I would like to think that Joseph's family showed up to help, you know, deliver this baby. But there are other people in the cave and they hear this message from the shepherds and it says that they wondered at what the shepherds told them. This is not like, I wonder what the weather's gonna be like tomorrow. This is like, sitting out in the night sky, seeing more stars than you've ever seen before, just looking back and going, wow. Wow. Like that kind of just like mind-blowing, like, this is amazing. They're all, they're all like just this overflown with wonder. And the shepherds in verse 20, it says they go away the same way that the, the angels showed up to them. So that the host of angels show up praising God and giving him glory. The shepherds go away in that same heart, in that same spirit. They go back to their sheep or wherever they're headed, praising God and giving him glory. Mary and Joseph are like, they're like, what do you do with that? Like, this is just totally strange to them. I imagine after Jesus, like having all of the kids after that was like a walk in the park because they went through this whole ordeal. And then we have this little interlude. In the next few verses, what we read about is that there are two sacrifices that need to be made. A sacrifice according to the Jewish law needs to be made for the purity of Mary. Uh, after giving birth, a woman would need to make that sacrifice. And a sacrifice needs to be made for the uh, consecration of their firstborn son. Both of these things are in keeping with the law. And so they are not able to go back home. Remember, they're not even home. They have to go the other direction towards Jerusalem to offer the sacrifice. It has to be offered in the temple in Jerusalem. So they go to Jerusalem and we're gonna pick up in verse 25. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Let's pause there for a second. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's a, a, the word consolation is not a word that we use really all that often. And the idea here is that Simeon is sort of, he he needs to be consoled, right? Like, inconsolable consolation they they have these sort of same roots he's not inconsolable but he's sort of just waiting he's like I am waiting without comfort I need the comfort to come he's feeling the weight of of the brokenness of the world this is this is why Jesus coming as Christ Savior and Lord is such a big deal because you're feeling the weight of the brokenness and Simeon is just feeling the weight of the brokenness of the world, just wanting the comfort of knowing that God is gonna keep his promise. And we find out that the Holy Spirit is upon him. And it it goes on to say, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death 
before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so God has sort of promised him, like, hey, you're going ha- to see it. You're going to see it before you die. And verse 27, it says, and he came in the spirit into the temple. The Holy Spirit that's within him just sort of leads him, hey, go to the temple. And he goes, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. Can you believe this? A total stranger. Mary, Joseph, just trying to do what God told him to do. They go to the temple and now here's some like super old, total strange guy walks up, grabs the baby and does like a Rafiki in Lion King holding up the baby Mary and Joseph like this is weird this is strange and and Simeon says this this very uh interesting prayer so he he took he takes the baby up in his arms and he blesses God and he says Lord now you are letting your servant depart in peace Simeon's been waiting a while he's like finally I can die finally I can die at peace According to your word, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon is looking at a baby, but the Holy Spirit within him has revealed, just like the angels, that this is the Savior, the Christ. My eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. I like to think he gives the baby back at that point. And then he has some, some words for Mary and Joseph, for mom and dad. And he says, um, well, it says, the text says, his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Similar idea to that, like, wonder of like, wow. And also a little bit of like, can I have my baby back? And it says, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Kind of a cryptic message, but Simeon is saying this child is like this, the most important human to ever be born. He's causing the rising and falling of many in Israel. And, and by the way, Mary, his story is going to have a tragic moment in it, and that is going to pierce your soul. You're going to be heartbroken at what he goes through. Now, the one thing you need to understand about how this is all taking place is that the temple in Israel is separated into sort of quadrants in terms of like the holier you are, or that's not exactly the right way to say it, but there, there are basically exclusive areas of the temple. So there's a certain place where only the high priest can go into once a year. It's a very sacred space, the Holy of Holies. There's a space where priests can occupy, but only priests. And there's a place where uh, men can occupy, and there's a court of women, and then there's a, the outer court where anybody can come. You don't even have to be Jewish, but you can go into the outer court the place where these sacrifices are being offered is, is um, in the, the priestly, it's basically in the court of women, which is an open air uh, court. There's, there's lots of, it's, it's a common meeting space. There's a lot of people around. 
the, the sacrifice is being offered like just a little bit in the distance. There's an archway and the, the sacrifice is being offered there so the, the, everyone can see it. And so when Simeon scoops up baby Jesus and, and, and starts to say this prayer, he's drawing attention. He's drawing attention. A crowd is forming. People are like, what is going on? What's this crazy old guy doing with this baby? And one of the people who hears it is another person who's filled with the Holy Spirit. And her name is Anna. So this is in verse 36. It says, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting in prayer night, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour. So she hears the ruckus. She's like, what's going on here? She comes up at that very hour and begins to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She's waiting for the, for the consolation as well. And she sees Simeon. She also recognizes that this baby is Christ, the Savior, the Lord. And she just starts giving thanks. Everyone who recognizes Jesus just starts giving thanks. They can't help it. And she goes away and she starts telling anyone who will listen. Everyone who's been waiting for the consolation. Everyone, which is everyone, who's been hoping that God would keep his word and send the Messiah. This is a wild, Jesus is like two weeks old. This is a wild ordeal for Mary and Joseph. But in this story, and especially in these strange aspects, what we find are, are, are the source of true joy and what that does in our lives. Okay, if we go back through the story, what we're gonna see is that true joy, the roots, the source of joy that you can connect into so that you can live and experience it in an evergreen way, those roots, true joy is rooted in what God has done. True joy is rooted in what God has done and Jesus' incarnation, Jesus coming to earth is his greatest act. The thing about joy being rooted in God's actions is that they are completely independent of our circumstances. Just like a tree can keep, the the Christmas tree can keep its needles green when it is like blizzard, snowing, like crazy weather outside, the roots are still connected and the tree is still alive when we root ourselves into what God has done, no, no circumstance in your life can change that fact. You're rooted in the ground. The shepherds receive this message. And, and they are they, they are so excited that God kept good on his word. They, they come and they see the baby and they're like, God did it. The work of God has been, has, has been done here. This is the Christ, the Savior, the Lord. Simeon and Anna see it because the Holy Spirit reveals it to them. But from that moment on, they're just like, I need, I need people to hear this. They're rooted, their, their prayer, Simeon's prayer and what Anna says, it's rooted in 
God, you did this. Because of that, I have joy. And when we root into that, when we connect into that joy, the realizing that God has already done this, the realizing that God has already sent the one into the world that is going to save us, put our th- everything right, establish this eternal kingdom, and rule over it, when we connect into that, what we find is that true joy loves company. True joy loves company. Every time somebody taps into that, they're like in an instant going off to try and tell somebody else about it. As soon as the angel gets the green light, he finds the first people he can find. As soon as the angels leave, the shepherds are like, we gotta go see this. And they stole everyone in the cave as soon as they can catch their breath. And Simeon, as soon as he sees this, scoops up baby Jesus and tells anyone in the court at the temple who can hear that this is the salvation that God has prepared. When we connect to the root of joy, it it compels us to share it with other people. When we when we get rooted into that source, the fact that Jesus has come, it's almost like you can't help it. And so my question, with all of that being said, is how come we don't experience that kind of joy? It's nice, idyllic talk to, to, you know, wax about true joy and these roots and all of that stuff but when we think about our own lives like they're up and down and sometimes we don't have joy and that's like what do we do with that I think there are two things for everyone but I think especially in the lives of, of believers that that sort of interrupt our connection to the roots that, that hinder our ability to connect into that true joy. And they both come back to this idea of surrender. When we baptize people, one of the questions that we ask them is, we say, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? We say, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? And people, you, usually, they'll say, yes. And when the angel shows up to the shepherds and he reveals who the baby is, he says, Savior and Lord. When we refuse to surrender to Jesus in either of these ways, we interrupt our ability to experience his joy. Some people just have a hard time accepting Jesus as their savior because they feel like either they don't need to be saved or that they've got things all figured out, you know, the They've got life sorted and and they're all good. I look back into uh, the Gospel of Matthew. The only person who hears the news about Jesus being born and is not joyful is Herod, the king, the brutal, ruthless king who, hearing the the news of Jesus, the Messiah who was proclaimed to, to free the captives and establish a kingdom, that's a threat to Herod. Herod has built his life and his prosperity on the backs of oppressing the Jewish people. So him hearing about this Messiah being born is bad news to him. It's good news to everybody else. It's bad news to Herod because he couldn't see Jesus as a savior. And I think us today, a lot of us have a hard time viewing Jesus as a savior. Sometimes it's just because of the fact that we think like 
you know, man, if, if, if you really knew, known what I've done, Andrew, if you really knew the real me, you would know that Jesus doesn't want to save me. The truth is he does. <laughs> the book of Ephesians chapter two, Paul tells us that, that all of us are enemies of God. At one point in our lives, we are objects of his wrath. And it's not just like um, that we are, like the Messiah's come to heal the sick. Like Jesus will come and say like, I'm here, to, you know, it's the wounded who needed, the sick who need a doctor. We're not just sick without Christ. We're not just sick. Ephesians 2 says we're dead. Like we were dead in our trespasses. Enemies of God, objects of his wrath. That is when Jesus came into the world. And so I want you to know that there is nothing that you can do that would disqualify you from Jesus wanting to save you, from Jesus wanting to be your savior. And he is inviting you and me to surrender to him as your savior, as our savior. And that's the first way that we get our joy interrupted. And the second way, and this one's a lot harder, I'll be honest with you. The angel says that the Savior has come and he says that the Lord has come. I think by and large, we like getting to be saved, but we don't like having to have a Lord. Lord is, is an authority figure. Lord is, is master. Lord is, hey, if you say it, I do it. And in John chapter 15, Jesus, even sort of using this little bit of a metaphor of like the tree and the roots and stuff, he will say, hey, um, just as I obey the Father and remain in his love, I want you to obey me and remain in my love. If you do that, he says, my joy will be in you and your joy may be, what? Complete. Your joy may be full. That whatever blockage on your roots that's interrupting the flow of joy into your life will be removed. Full joy comes from full surrender to Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's, that's what I hope that we can all take away from this story today. The greater that we can lay ourselves down surrendering to Jesus as both Savior and Lord, the greater we'll be able to experience joy. It feels a little counterintuitive to say like, okay, if I do what Jesus says to do and a lot of those things seem countercultural and difficult to do, if I do those, God sa Jesus promises that he's gonna put his joy in me? Yeah, that's exactly it. You've got it. It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. And so as I invite the worship team to come back up, I wonder what's blocking your joy today? What's interrupting your connection to the roots? Because the truth is all of us need a savior and all of us need a Lord. We make terrible saviors and lords of our own lives. We're gonna make a complete mess of it. And so maybe you know that there's an area of your life that you have not surrendered to God because the teaching is just too hard. The invitation of God today is if you do that, my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. Your joy will be full. You will get all the way up to the top. 
And so if your joy today feels like a cookie tin that's, that's running out of cookies, maybe it's totally empty. Or maybe you're just feeling like, ah, you know, I, I'm a Christian and I follow Jesus, but I feel like there's gotta be more out there. There is. None of us are perfect, and so none of us really have this perfect connection to joy. But we are all being sanctified by the Holy Spirit and moving in that direction. So as you go about your week, even maybe as you reflect as we close in worship, where is it that you need to surrender a little bit more to God in order to experience all the joy that he wants to have to give to you? If you walk in obedience to him, you will have evergreen joy. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these stories that we can look, uh, look on and reflect on and, and grasp at the heart of what joy is and where it comes from. I thank you, God, that joy is rooted in what you have already done and nobody can take that away from us. Lord, I pray for all of us here. Holy Spirit, would you move in our lives and in our hearts? Would you empower us, even in our own weakness and fear and worry, to take another step of obedience to you, to take one more step out into a little bit of uncertainty? Because you've t you've, you're pushing us in that direction and you've, you've called us, you've told us you'll be with us and you've told us that you will put your joy into us. Lord, you have always been faithful. And may the joy that we experience from our connection to you, would it so fill us and overflow in us that we just can't help but go out and tell somebody about it. Lord, before Christmas, would you allow us and, and empower us to tell somebody else about Jesus? Would you empower us to invite somebody to come to experience that joy for themselves? And Lord, even beyond the Christmas season, in the ups and downs of life, when we feel empty and we feel really down, Lord, would we come back to these roots? That you have come, that you are putting all things right, and that you love us. Jesus, we give you all the glory and all the honor, for you alone are worthy. We pray this in your perfect name. Amen. Let's worship together.